The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Isaiah 1-3 Hi, this is Pastor Jason from Christian Life Church in Waverly, New York. Welcome to Master's Crib, a weekly podcast where we interview pastors and leaders about the biblical teaching of authority. This program is designed to go alongside a personal Bible study aimed towards spiritual growth, biblical understanding, and a Christian worldview. Thanks for tuning in. So today on episode 25, we have Mr. Kevin Smith. Kevin is a teacher at Logos Online Schooling, and he has been kind enough to join us tonight. So Mr. Smith, welcome to Master's Crib. Well, thank you for having me. Good to be here. I really appreciate it. So uh, just a couple minutes, you have a really, really cool job where you get to have, you know, influence these kids in their worldview biblically. So what got you into that? Yeah, well, uh, I, I appreciate you saying that. I do tend to think it's a pretty cool job. Uh, it certainly has its challenges working with teenagers, as you might imagine. But just to your point, getting to speak into worldview type issues, uh, it's, it is richly rewarding. Mm. Um, and what got me started on this uh, is my wonderful wife. Uh, she actually introduced me to the world of classical Christian education when we were dating. Mm. Uh, it's something I had never even heard of at that point. And uh, through some books that she gave me and many long conversations, you know, she won me over uh, in, in a lot of ways. <laughs> and, and as we entered marriage and started looking at, well, what could we do as a family? What would be ways that could provide for us? What would be ways that, that might be useful to our children when those come along? It just, the doors kept opening. And so we said, well, let's look into me teaching in, in one of these schools. Uh, and that's, that's kind of where it started. And, and over the years, uh, it's led me to Logos Online now. Wow, that's cool. So were you um, at any other schools before Logos? Yeah, I taught at a, a school in southwest Washington, Cedar Tree, Classical Christian. Okay. Uh, and before that, it had kind of been sporadic, some online well, some online schools, but uh, adjunct work at a couple of universities. And my background has been in uh, pastoral ministry uh, as far as my training and, and serving on a few staffs, church staffs. And, mm. and the uh, adjunct roles have been more of uh, kind of side jobs, as it were. And, mm. and after meeting Ashley, my wife, it became more of, wait a minute, maybe this is, maybe this is the avenue the Lord's calling me down. Wow, that's awesome. So, in the end of the day, what's your hope and your prayer that was accomplished? What's the mission of all that you're doing? Yeah, uh, ultimately, uh, of course, ultimately, as we all say, we're hoping to glorify God through the work of our hands. For our own little home and my passion it's, it's serving Christian families. Hmm. Uh, my wife and I have a heart for the Christian home, and we see that uh, while there are a lot of strengths, there's a lot of work that still needs to be done, and we certainly aren't the answer people who have it all figured out, but hmm. the Lord has equipped us uh, in certain ways, we think, to serve uh, this particular group. So 
for me, getting to teach at a place like Logos becomes, okay, how can I come alongside parents who are serious when it comes to what they want their children to learn mm. and, and how they want their children to learn and the, the biblical worldview that they wish for their children to have, they're speaking into that. And then they may recognize that, you know, this is an area that perhaps someone else can come alongside and further the conversation. Mm. So it's, it's never, I am replacing. It's always mom and dad have this role Mm. and, and I can, I can come alongside and, and be of, of assistance as needed. So that, that is really, for myself, the mission behind teaching at Logos. It's how do I serve and, and how do I come alongside? Well, as, as a word of encouragement to you, that is exactly what we got out of the ministry that you were involved in at Logos because it is just awesome, the conversations that we've had. So definitely recommend uh, the, the teaching out there to anyone, and uh, I really, really appreciate uh, what you do. Thank you. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. So let's take a couple minutes tonight, as, as I love to, just tear into God's Word. And we are going to be looking at Daniel 3, just a small section, Daniel 3, 19 through 27. So i just like to read that. It says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown down into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace, and he he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of the fire had come upon them. So why should have God protected these men? Didn't they go against the authority that God himself had put in place? Uh, yes, at some <laughs> level, and and that's almost their point, right? He he doesn't have to protect us. Uh, we believe he will. Um, but in in a sense, um, they say it, it reminds me of Moses with the Israelites in the wilderness, Samuel with the Israelites when they want a king. You know, there's grumbling, there's complaining, there's a desire for something, 
and God says to Moses and Samuel at their times, the people aren't grumbling and complaining against you. Mm. It's, it's me. That's who they're talking to. And that's basically what the three Hebrew boys, that's basically what they say is, Nebuchadnezzar, um, it, you're not actually mad at us, though you're livid. Right? It's, your beef is with God. Mm. And so, yes, they say our, our God can, can protect us. He can keep us from being harmed by these flames. But even if he doesn't, uh, we will remain loyal to him. Mm. We will remain loyal to his character, who he has shown himself to be in our life. And that, that's it. Right? It's, it's not their loyalty winds up not being contingent on whether or not God works for them, mm. uh, which, which I find to be an interesting uh, kind of, I don't want to say aside, but an interesting point here in this story is uh, I, th- I do think sometimes we have this tendency that you know, it, well, as long as God is kind of doing his part, you know, then I'll, I'll make sure I do my part. Mm. And, and that misses the whole point, right? God's already done more than we could ever mm. uh, match. Absolutely. So does he have to protect them? Uh, I guess you could say no. They mm. seem to imply that he doesn't. He's not obligated to do that, but he's perfectly capable. And ultimately, Nebuchadnezzar, your your issue is with him, so he will answer you. Mm. So, at its very base, when this is typically taught Sunday school, Sunday school classes, and there are many people that have you know, never really got out of that Sunday school mentality. The message that is taught through this story is that God always protects his people. So is it really as simple as that? I know you've touched on that a little bit, or is there something deeper that's happening here? Uh, Can we say yes and yes? (laughs) Can can we have it all? Um, God does protect his people. It's just not always in the way that we think. Mm. Um, so we have the stories of the three Hebrew boys and, and Daniel a few chapters later in the lion's den, right? Mm. Where we would look at that and say, wow, look at how God has shielded them, how he has protected them. Um, you fast forward into church history and you'll see stories of the martyrs. And they are burned at the stake, uh, they are killed by the lions. Well, did God not protect them? Is is that what's going on? Mm. That, there's that hymn, How Firm a Foundation, right? And, mm. and I'm not 100% sure on this, but I think it's drawing from Isaiah 43 in one of the verses about if you go through the fire, it, it will not harm you. Mm. Um, sometimes it seems that he keeps us from the harm and then sometimes he carries us through it Mm. and it seems to me at least in an eternal perspective that either way he's protecting us Mm. Uh, either way he's showing himself to be faithful to us faithful to himself and and he keeps us he keeps us as his own Mm. so now these men would not bow down to the image so is the fact that God rescues them from the fire 
evidence that they're justified in their actions? I, I, I think it has to be. Mm. Uh, if, if, if we recognize God as the, 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 the one who is the true judge, the only one who truly has the authority to distinguish right from wrong, to determine uh, good and bad, um, his actions here convey that they were just. Um, and Nebuchadnezzar's response almost shows that he still doesn't get it. Uh, and we didn't read that, uh, the passage that you read earlier. You know, he, he is awestruck at what's happened. And he turns around and gives just this brutal uh, command, you know, now if you, if you don't submit or at least recognize their God, then this awful thing will happen to you. Well, you're missing the point. That's, they're not justified because they're such wonderful people. Uh, God is responding to Nebuchadnezzar's claim mm. of somehow being superior, being ultimate, being in control. And God is showing that he is the one who ultimately is sovereign. And, mm. and this is the way he has done that. And in doing that, I think, to your question, I do think it, it shows that he, he thinks they were in the right. And, and I would just add, um, you know, the accusation that's brought against them earlier from in this chapter, the motive behind the accusation I don't think it's explicit here in the text, but I think it's, 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 I think it's obvious. It's bitterness or jealousy, something like that. These other officials, because these Jewish boys are, are somehow above us. Mm. And, and so we, we need to find a way to get back at them. But notice who they fear. The, the, Jewish, the Hebrew boys, they're, they're not afraid of men. Mm. That's that's not their concern at the end of the day. Almost echoing, if you could, foreshadowing the apostles and acts. It's we must obey God and not men. Mm. So they fear God in that biblical sense. Uh, they revere Him. They know that the taunts of Nebuchadnezzar are put toward Him, and so they will remain faithful to Him. And in his response, he shows them to be just. Mm. I love that you said that. And it seems like we kind of miss at least that point often when we read through stories like this, you know, accounts like Nebuchadnezzar or, you know, even looking back uh, to, to Pharaoh, God was getting Pharaoh's attention too. And we miss that. He's showing Pharaoh that he's God. He's showing Nebuchadnezzar that he's God. And instead, we always seem to focus our attention on, look what these guys did. Be like them. <laughs> right, you know, right. We always miss the big, the, big, the big, huge view that we have in the entire canon of Scripture where we can look and see what God was actually doing completely, you know, and, and maybe not completely, but we can see more fully exactly what God was getting at in this. So that's really awesome that you said that. Sure. Yeah, it's it's remembering it's his story, right? Mm, absolutely. So this question I just wanted to ask you for for fun. Just um, this is one of those <laughs> things that 
I get a lot of emails to ask questions about the wheels from Ezekiel and all kinds of other crazy oh, things. Boy. So I wanted I'll to send mine to you then. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I wanted to throw this to you and, and just see what your answer was. So is there any significance in the fact that the furnace is heated up seven times more than usual? I, it, it's an interesting question. Mm. Seven uh, conveys this idea of perfection or completion. Mm. So is there, is there something to that being said? And, and I, I think it's safe to say, usually when we think of it like that, we're, we're thinking in terms of God somehow, right? This, mm. it's perfect number. It's, it's, it's signifying wholeness or something like that. My wonder, and, and maybe this is more of a question, I, I don't want to be pinned down to this too <laughs> too, too much, but I, I can't help but wonder if maybe it's conveying, uh, almost like the flip, uh, it's, it is a completion of Nebuchadnezzar's thoughtless rage. Oh. It's, it is, he has so uh, gone off the deep end, I guess you might say, mm. that he is, as you read in the story, the only people who are actually harmed in this are his people, mm. right? The, the only people who die are the people who just are obeying his orders, right? Heat it up, mm. tie them up, throw them in. And the guys who get the job of throwing them in are the guys who die. Mm. Um, I, don't, I don't know if there's more to it than that. I'm not sure, but no. I... I can't help but wonder if that's not at least part of what they're conveying here is uh, his his rage is if you could call rage perfect his rage is is complete oh wow that's that's really good so you probably stirred some people's thoughts and uh, probably satisfied some people's thoughts and at the same time there's some people that are going to be like i i got to read a little bit more about this and see what this (laughs) is now so that's awesome so looking kind of at the cultural implications of this we live in a time now where no one's disagreed so far. People just don't have a whole lot of respect for authority. And not only are we lacking respect for authority, people just don't trust authority very much mm. anymore. So first, do you agree with that? And if you do, why would you say that is? Yeah, I, I don't think I'm going to be the outlier here. <laughs> uh, I, I do think that at least in our society here, uh, I echo what you're saying, right? This mm. this breakdown or a lack of appreciation or outright hostility toward authority and the various structures that represent authority. My my father-in-law, I think his basic answer to a question like that would be godlessness. That at, at its core, that's what it what the cause is. Wow. Uh, and and as we continue to wander away, uh, and, and maybe wander is too generous a term for some, mm. uh, as, as we wander away from God and his principles, his order, uh, we will see the consequence of that, right? So mm. in my mind, uh, if you no longer view God as sovereign, there's, there's no creator, Lord of the universe, then just bring it home. Submitting to mom and dad is no longer something like a practice for submitting to the father, mm. right? Which, I mean, you raised your kids, you know, you've got kids at home and mm. we've got a little one and, 
and that's something that we will talk about as parents and we try to convey to a little toddler is you know obeying us is important for its own purposes but ultimately we're trying to teach you how to obey God mm. and he has given you to us for this season and so think of this as practice if nothing else mm. right and so if if that goes away the other figures in society that mom and dad taught us to submit to and obey I don't think you they claim allegiance anymore right mm. what's what's the purpose there's the foundation has been eroded so what's left what, why then is is the question that we're asked why should I obey this person why should I care about that person what they mm. think I if if I can add a story oh yeah um, I I worked at a public library for a while and I remember an interaction uh, with that a coworker of mine had with a a young boy I'm I'm guessing you know grade school age and my coworker walked up to him trying to instruct him on how some do's and don'ts and he looked at her and said you're not on the list so I don't have to obey oh, you Oh my goodness <laughs> and and we had a good laugh at it and yet there was also a certain just shock factor of mm. what well, who makes the list and how can a list like that be exhaustive? Ultimately, is there anything objective to it at that point? Mm. And, and I would say, well, if, if you've removed that foundation of, of God, you're, you're going to lose that objective sense of there is a reason that there are people in certain positions above mm. you and it's for your good. Mm. So literally... I mean, we're seeing that all over the place. I mean, if you take a trip to Walmart, the amount of children that are allowed to ride underneath the cart where we put our <laughs> water bottles, you know, and the mom and dad's saying, get out of there, and they're just not listening. Like, even in the home, authority just seems to have been tossed out the window, and you see, uh, you know, in at least public interactions, a lot more of just an abandonment of the entire idea, the entire structure, and it really is it really is sad so without authority kind of anything goes so drawing that back uh, to the place where we have the most influence obviously you and i is uh, is with our christian friends and and family and in our families uh, so how good of a job do you think the church has done at teaching authority? I mean, are all of the people that are out there at Walmart yelling at their kids for being under the carts? I mean, all of them cannot be unbelievers, right? <laughs> so how good a job are we doing? Yeah. Um, uh, sorry, another story. Uh, an older gentleman who's since gone to be with the Lord, I remember he was in his, he had to be in his 90s at this point. It's kind of a prayer meeting. And the prayer meeting as sometimes happens turned into more of a gossip session mm. and he stood up all, I don't even know if he was five feet tall, all five feet of him <laughs> stood up and said, I don't know about you, but my Bible tells me that Jesus is coming back for his bride, who is the church. So you better be careful how you talk about her. Wow. And that just that stuck with me. It struck me as a teenage boy mm. hearing a thought like that. So, to your question, I want to tread lightly. Yes, sir. Uh, I want to. I want to remember <laughs> who it is that Christ is coming back for. That being said, though, I, I do think that 
you're right that probably not every single person who has this story, whether it's Walmart or somewhere else, you know, of the breakdown of authority and then trying to establish, reestablish authority. I, I don't think that's the sole domain of non-believers. Mm. Um, so how do we make sure that we as, as the church and in particular church leaders, how do we make sure, how do we convey that our view of authority, the way we teach it to our people is based on scripture and not on the world's definitions, mm. which so often are, you know, some feeling based thing or, or what's in it for me, right? What can I get out of this? So, yes, I think the church certainly has work to do. Mm. My, I mean, part of the reason why I teach where I teach is because I want to make sure that we're able to approach these areas that we can still grow in scripturally. Mm. And, and we're not trying to allow the world to dictate how we understand, uh, at, for example, how parents are to be teaching and disciplining their children into this understanding of authority. Mm. That's awesome. So how does a proper understanding of the authority structure of the created universe benefit everyone who lives here or doesn't it? Yeah, I, I certainly think it does. I think uh, you read in Romans 2, I think you'll see Paul giving voice to you know, the Gentiles who, they, it's, it's as though it's written on their heart, right? They have mm-hmm. this recognition, this awareness of, of right and wrong. It doesn't necessarily mean they can live it, uh, but they at least have some sense. Jesus talks about, you know, a father will give his son bread when he asks for it. He's not going to give him a rock. Mm. Right? That, and that's not because he's a Christian, right? That just dads will do that. Mm. Um, how do we, <laughs> where does that start? How do we, how do we get there? Um, it, it might sound cliche. It's, it, you know, you start in the word. It, God mm. has established an order. And that includes the various authority structures. And I think an honest reading of scripture will show that to be true. Um, If we follow that, just as he tells his children in the Old Testament, especially in the Pentateuch, if this, then that. If if you live this way, this, this is going to be the fruit. However, if you veer, if you don't follow, then you'll have fruit, but it, you won't like it. Mm. This is going to be what you get. Um, so it's, our tendency maybe, at least people with my temperament, is, okay, well, then give me the list. <laughs> what, <laughs> what are the things to do? What are the things not to do? Okay, I'm good. Um, thanks be to God, right? That's not how it works. Uh, it, it is walking in step with the Spirit we see in Galatians 5. It's, it is knowing right from wrong, which comes from the Scripture, but it's also submitting, which brings us right back to the whole concept of authority. It's mm. always, always, we God's people saying, but for God's grace, but for God's grace, there I go. Wow. This, that would be my path. So, Lord, I'm, I'm submitting myself to you again. Show me the way to go. And if it's the exact same path you showed me yesterday, <laughs> then help me to walk it more faithfully today. Wow. Amen. Well, 
Mr. Smith, I thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate sure. this conversation. And I just wanted to uh, give our listeners an opportunity to find out how they could get a hold of you to uh, ask questions or just get more information about what you do. Yeah, sure thing. I appreciate that. And I've enjoyed getting to share some thoughts with you. Um, I have, I am venturing into the world of websites. <laughs> so I, I have a uh, a budding website that you could reach out to me there, Kevin Smith 218.wixsite.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're welcome to find me that way. Uh, if you go to Logos Online School, uh, you, can, you can reach out to me through the school as well if, if you wanted to go that route. That is awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I'm going to be praying for you and for your ministry and your family. So thank you again for coming on Master's Group. You're welcome. Lord bless you. Lord bless you too. Have a